We'll read this morning from Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 to 17. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in Israel, in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. All right, let's see how we go with technology again. We're working. Go Pung. G'day, everybody. Uh, as we said before, my name is Scott. Really glad to be with you this morning. Um, around, uh, Brian said this before, but around August or September last year, as a church, you guys asked your friends, neighbours, colleagues, people that you know, what do you think the biggest challenges that we're facing? And I thought, surely, the answer is obvious, isn't it? It's COVID, right? It has to be. At that time, we'd recently come out of a three-month lockdown. Uh, There was no vaccine on the horizon. The global death toll was starting to approach one million, and now it's at two million. And I thought, surely, everyone thinks COVID's the biggest challenge we've got right now. Not true. Before Brian just mentioned uh, the the four biggest challenges, uh, according to our friends, COVID was the fourth most popular answer out of them. There's three things that people thought were bigger challenges than COVID. And today we're going to look at one of them. And it's this. The biggest challenge we're facing is that the environment is suffering. And no matter which way you look at it, there are environmental challenges all over the place for us right now, aren't there? They're on the agenda today. 50 years ago, very few people thought of this as an issue. But now it's everywhere. We hear a bit about it in our news. We, it's, it's a huge part of uh, politics in Australia. And uh, just about every business, if you dig deep enough, uh, every business today has some kind of statement about how they are being environmentally friendly. I even found out there's such a thing as a green Bible. Did you know about this, the green Bible? Uh, the green Bible has some verses in green letters that highlight what God has to say about the environment. At the end of the Bible, they've added in some what they call inspirational essays to help you think more about this, and presumably it's all printed on recycled paper, or at least we'd hope so, right? 
Environmental care is a hot topic for today. And the thing is, it's not just a single issue, is it? The, most thing, we, the, the thing we hear about most often is climate change, but there are so many other facets to, to, to the environmental care. Uh, there's the loss of our topsoil, there's the plastic in our oceans, there's the animal species that are becoming extinct. Some of our friends mentioned in their answers things like deforestation, resource shortages, overpopulation, and there's plenty more too. So this is a big topic. And today we're going to think about what does God have to say about this? What does the Bible have to say about this? Which might sound strange because there's a common theory that Christianity is actually to blame for a lot of the problems that we're seeing in the environment. Now, this theory is popularised by this man, uh, Lynn White Jr., in the 60s, he published an essay that became uh, pretty influential. It's called The Historic Roots of Our Ecologic Crisis. Uh, and in the essay, he puts a lot of the blame at the feet of Christianity. It's been a very influential idea. Today, we're going to see just two things. And here's the first. It goes completely against what Lynn White said. If you don't care about the environment... You're actually out of step with God. If you don't care about the environment, you're out of step with God. Uh, we saw this in Genesis 2, the reading we had just before. Genesis 2 presents us with the beginning of the world, and it's worth us kind of taking note of a few details that are there. Uh, well, let me just run through a few details. In verse 4, we saw that God was the maker, the creator of everything. In verse 7, you see that uh, humanity is made by God. Um, we're, we're creatures. Uh, verse 8 to 14, they paint a picture of a really lovely, a, a, a wonderful world, overflowing with life. It, it's good, it's beautiful. You can see, let me just highlight verse 9 for you. It says, The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. It's a, it's a, it's a good world. This fits with what was said just one chapter earlier in, in, in chapter 1, verse 31, where God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. So he's a good, beautiful world. And surprisingly, God gives humanity a special responsibility in this world. Look at verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. God gives there the first man responsibility to look after the environment. And really, this isn't just about one man in one garden. Throughout the Bible, we, we see that this is God's call for people, that humanity is to care for the world, the environment. We do this under God. He still remains God over the world. It's not like he's abandoning his world. But he gives humanity a special place in the world to care for his world. Uh, when I was a kid... There was an ad they played on TV. It was encouraging us not to litter. This was the 90s. It's pretty corny to look back on it now. Um, but it had a really catchy song. Do you want me to show it to you? Let, let me show it to you. Here we go. We got the volume there? Here we go. One more slide. Here we are. Hey, guys. I'm really anti-littering and anti-pollution, and I think that's largely because of this really catchy ad that I grew up with in the 90s. It was really hard to track this down and get a hold of this for you guys, but here it is now. Check it out. Right around the nation, Mother Nature is dying from our little situation. Gotta do the right thing, it's an obligation, and your planet will thank you for your cooperation. 
A little bit of rhythm goes a long, long way. Mother Nature is choking on it every day. You gotta do the right thing. It's an obligation. And your planet will thank you for your cooperation. Don't wanna hear you say, there's nothing you can do. Cause while the world is dying, it's relying on you. You gotta do the right thing. It's an obligation. And your planet will thank you for your cooperation. What do you think, hey? <laughs> a classic ad from the 90s. Any, does anyone remember seeing that ad? There's a few of us. Yeah, yeah. It, it didn't take me long to start remembering the lyrics, and I'm wandering around home kind of... Da, 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 da. As a kid, I was always waiting for a present. I didn't litter. And, and, and that's what the ad said. Your planet's going to thank you for your cooperation. This is kind of the logic of a five or six-year-old, right? I never did get a gift coming back my way. Um, it raises the question of that ad, doesn't it? Why, why care for the environment? According to the ad, you care for the environment because of karma. Did you catch that there? It's kind of saying to you, if you do good things, good things are going to come back to you. If you don't litter, the planet's going to say thanks to you. And look, sure, if we all treat the environment badly, if we all treat nature badly, there's going to be consequences that are bad for all of us, right? But, but, but karma doesn't work. Because I might do all the right things, right? I might put up my solar panels, uh, walk to work or ride to work instead of taking the car, recycle, combust. I can do all sorts of good things. But if I've got a neighbour up the hill who dumps chemicals on his lawn all the time, when it rains, that's all going to wash down to my property and, and things are going to go bad for me. See, see, karma doesn't actually work as a reason to look after the environment. And I don't think we care for the environment because it's some kind of god either. You know, this idea out there that um, Mother Nature is like a conscious being and everything is connected. We've all got equal value, equal status, so we've got to respect everything in nature. Um, that's not the reason that the Bible gives us either. God tells us to care for the environment because of him. Because he made it. He made the trees and the dolphins and the mountains and all of it, including you and I. He tells us to care for the environment because it's good. He made it good. And he tells us to care for it because he's actually given us that responsibility in the world. It's part of who we are before our God. And so then there emerges a principle from the Bible. Our motivation to care for the environment is actually out of our love for God. He's asked us to do it. And so it's an act of love for us to actually do it then. It's true, it's also an act of love for our neighbours to care for it because if it's good for the world, it's going to be good for our neighbours as well as they live in the world. But I think the primary way the Bible talks about this is that we do this as an act of love to God. That's the overarching principle I think we get from the Bible. We care for the environment out of love for God who calls us to do that. Now in a moment, I want to talk about what it looks like to put this principle into practice. But just before we get there, I think it's worth saying, there are, there are two dangers we can fall into here too. Two dangers. The, the first is to think that we can do anything as a human race. You know, If we just pull together and if we all just do our bit, we can change anything. 
I think there's a danger in this because it forgets that as humans we are limited people. We're, we're, we're creatures who don't control everything, right? So when there's a drought somewhere, I can't just send rain and end the drought. Or when there's an earthquake destroying someplace, I can't just stop the land shaking, no matter how many people I've got on side with me doing the right thing. So no matter how good our environmental practices are, these kind of environmental disasters will happen. So we need to remember our limited nature here. And we need to pray to our God. This is what the Bible would call us to do, is to pray to our God who's not limited in the same way that we are. Pray to him to act when we can't. But of course, there's a second danger too. And the second danger is that we do nothing. I think the problem is just too big. Look, uh, nothing I ever do is going to make a difference, so it doesn't matter. What's the point of doing anything at all? It's a danger, isn't it? Because it forgets what God has given us. He's given us responsibility. It pretends that God actually hasn't asked us to care for his world, and so in the end, that kind of attitude completely ignores God. Instead, the Bible gives us this principle. We care for the environment out of love for our God. So let's think. What does that actually look like then in the real world? Let me start with a small example. Uh, composting. Put your hand up if you think that by composting you are going to save the world. I've seen what? No. <laughs> I see some here. Nobody really thinks they're going to save the world by doing their composting, do they? But it does care for the environment. It's because it stops more and more waste going into landfill, and in the end, the compost is used to help replenish our soils. So even though it doesn't save the world, it's a good thing to do. It's a good thing to do out of, out of love for God, who asks us to care for his creation. You know what? It's so easy to do as well. Praise God for the local council he's given me. They give me this bin, right, and it's got a green lid, and they say, you just put your compostables in there and we'll do the rest for you. Fantastic. It's brilliant. Maybe you should check out your local council because I'm pretty sure most of the councils around here do just that. So easy. As a church, you do this too, right? You use compostable cups and compostable bin liners and stirrers. It's an act of love for God as we care for his world. Just a simple way of, of, of loving God. Another example? Uh, solar panels. Why do you put solar panels on your roof? If you ask most people, it's all about money, isn't it? The government kind of chips in some money for the panels and it lowers your monthly electricity bill, so go for it. And look, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, the Bible would tell us it's good to be wise with our money. But the Bible does say there's something more important than money, right? More important than money is loving God. So put your solar panels on your roof, yeah, because it's going to make sense for your budget. But, but even more, the Bible would say we do it because we want to love God by caring for his world. Solar panels mean less coal is burnt. That's going to be a good thing, right? So, so we'll put the solar panels up there. You see the principle in action, right? That, that we love God by caring for the world. And you can extend this principle out into bigger organised actions as well, like group, groups coming together and doing things, things like Clean Up Australia Day or asking those in the government to act or make laws that are good for the environment. And that's complex, right? It's complex because there's often disagreements about what's best, but the principle's right. In principle, caring for the environment is a good thing because it's an act of love for God who's doing what he's asked us to do. So God says, if 
you don't care about the environment, you're actually out of step with me. How do you think we're going with this? You'd probably have to say, on a whole, it's not all good news, is it? Just think about water, water for a moment, water. Uh, in our oceans, there are what they call plastic garbage patches forming in multiple locations around the world. They're not those uh, giant islands of plastic that uh, we commonly perceive them to be, but th there's a lot of plastic out there, and there's only getting more and more too. They say uh, over a decade, so 10 years, the amount of plastic in the oceans will increase by 10% every decade. Or take the Aral Sea. Um, this is, it lies in between kind of Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, that part of the world. It's not a sea really, it's actually just a lake. It actually used to be the fourth largest lake in the world. It had a huge fishing industry that supported heaps of people. In the 1960s, uh, the USSR, the Soviet Republic, they started taking water from the RLC and they used it to irrigate the uh, not very fertile lands around it. So since the 60s, it's declined to about 10% of its original size. It's destroyed a huge fishing industry, and so it's brought all sorts of economic problems. It's also obviously limited the amount of water that's there for the people who live nearby, so there's all sorts of health problems that have come out of it too. And of course, this is not limited to the Soviets either. We've got our own problems in Australia with the Murray-Darling and the whole, the whole basin there. God tells us to care for his world, but when we look across the world, we see that the environment is suffering. And amidst its suffering, the environment speaks. I, I want to take us to another part of the Bible now. This is part of the Bible is called Romans. It's, it's a letter written by a guy named Paul. He's one of the early Christian leaders. And he writes this letter to the church in Rome. And in it, he says that the environment is speaking to us. It's groaning out. It's, it's frustrated. It's decaying. It's suffering. And in that, it groans out to us. And it says in its groans, it says to us something that's extremely profound. Uh, of course, this is poetic. It's not actually a, really, a real voice that we can hear, but, but here's the point that it's making. If you don't care about God, you're out of step with the environment. Let me show you what I mean. I'll, I'll read this passage from Romans out for us. As we read, though, you'll notice uh, it never actually says the word environment. Instead, it speaks of creation. Uh, it's just its way of reminding us that the environment was given to us by God. But here it is. It's the passage. It's Romans uh, chapter 8, and I'm going to read from verse 18. It says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Now, that's a dense little part of the Bible there. So let's just take a close look. We'll, we'll run over what it's saying there. Um, 
Start of verse 19, it says the environment, the, the creation, it's waiting. It's, it's eagerly expecting something. It's like a kid on Christmas Eve, right? They're hanging out. They're excited for what's about to come. But the environment isn't waiting for presence under a tree. We see what it's waiting for in the second part of the verse. It's waiting for the children of God to be revealed. It's talking about a time there, a time at the end of the world, a time when everyone will know who truly belongs to, to God, who are his children. It makes you think, why? Why does the environment care about that at all? Verse 20 gives us the reason. The start of verse 20 says that the creation, the environment, has been frustrated. It's groaning, it's decaying, and it's suffering. And why is it like this? Is it because we're really all just environmental terrorists? We're trudging from one eco-disaster to another? If we're not introducing cane toads that wipe out a whole bunch of native species, we're knocking down trees so we can build new houses and now there's nowhere for these native species to live. Is that why it's frustrated? Certainly we've made some mistakes, yes. But there's something more to it. And it goes back to that passage in Genesis 2, the passage that Bethany read out for us a little earlier. Remember what it said? It said God made the world and he gave us as humans responsibility in the world. But the great problem is that humanity is out of step with God. So let me reread part of it for you from Genesis chapter 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. I'm having problems again, am I? Is that a problem with the microphone? Tell, tell me if it keeps happening. God there, he gave those first people one thing to not do. But they did it. They ate the fruit. And the issue really isn't in the eating here. It's in the deciding that God doesn't matter. They're thinking, we can get by on our own. We don't really need to listen to him. We can, we can figure out what's best for ourselves, can't we? We don't need this God anymore. It's a decision that they made then. And it's that same decision that, well, people have really kept making again and again and again. So now, as people, we're, we're out of step with God. And this kind of decision has far-reaching consequences. It means that as people, we're, we're out of step with each other. We have a tendency now that comes out, you'll see it every now and again in yourself and in others around you, a tendency towards selfishness, where we hurt each other. We grapple for power over one another. And we're not just out of step with each other, we're actually out of step with our creation as well, with the environment. We don't look after it like we should. We damage and pollute, often because of that same tendency to selfishness and greed. And so we end up with a world where there's plastic all through the oceans and masses of water that just don't exist anymore and whole species that have gone extinct. That's what Romans 8 is talking about. That's why the, the, the environment is frustrated and groaning. But there's also something deeper to it as well. Look back in verse 20. Uh, creation is, it says there, it's subjected to frustration. It's God who does this. God subjects creation to frustration. He works so that the environment is caught up in humanity's problem. So the environment now is out of whack as well. It doesn't work properly. Like a, like a nervous system, it's sending jolts of pain saying something is wrong. The environment is suffering. 
But that's not the end of the story. Uh, remember, we heard that the, the environment is waiting. It's, it's, it's hoping. That's what it says at the end of verse 20. It's got a hope. What's the hope? The hope is in verse 21 that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Again, it's talking about that time there at the end of the world when, when God's children, when God's people are revealed, when everyone will know who it is. And, and at that time, just like the creation, the environment was caught up in humanity's problem, here we see that the environment is also caught up in humanity's liberation, in, in their freedom and, and, and redemption. And that's what it's looking forward to, the environment. It's looking forward to a time of newness, of renewal, both for humanity and for the environment itself, a time where this decay and frustration and groaning is done with. Because God is freeing everything, freeing everything from being out of whack, when he's going to restore the world back to how it was meant to be. And so there is hope for this suffering environment. But it doesn't come in what humanity can do for the environment. The hope comes in what God is going to do for the environment. In 2007, uh, early 2007, Kevin Rudd was not yet the Prime Minister. But he gave a speech. I reckon some of you will remember this. In his speech, he said... Climate change is the, the greatest moral challenge. He said the great moral challenge of our time. Climate change, Kevin Rudd said, is the great moral challenge of our time. And he wanted to say, then, if this is the great moral challenge of our time, we need to act. And if I win the election, here's what my government's going to do. This, this, and the next thing. No doubt climate change is a big challenge. It's not the only challenge our environment is facing, but it's a big one. But the Bible would say it's not the great moral challenge of our time. The great moral challenge of our time, according to the Bible, is the way that we have treated God. And the Bible would say the enduring solution for the environment is not what we can do for it, but it's what God has promised to do for it. It's in the restoration that God will bring to the world. This doesn't mean we do nothing. Remember the principle? We care for the environment out of love for God. See, one of the tricky things about politics is it often pushes us to choose between two things. Either you're on this side of politics and, and, and you're for the environment, which means you're going to do these things and these things. Or you're against the environment, you're on this side of politics, and you're going to do nothing because you just don't care. Politics is always going to push us to choose between two ends. The Bible doesn't, though. The Bible wants us to hold two things together. The Bible says that God asks us to care for his world. And also, to know that he is the one. God is the one. Not you and I, but God is the one who will bring liberation to this suffering world. Those are the two things the Bible really wants us to hold together. As we come to an end, though, let me ask you a personal question. Have you heard 
what the environment is saying to you. It's saying, if you really care what I've got to tell you, then hear this. You need to get things right with God. Because the ultimate hope is, is not in what you can do for me, but the hope in, is in what God can do for me and what God can do for you. The environment is screaming at us to get things right with God. What does that mean? That means fearing out Jesus. Fearing out Jesus. In, in the Bible, God tells us that Jesus is the one who can put us right with him. In fact, if you go home and look at that chapter we've been, we've been looking at, Romans chapter 8, uh, you'll see in the whole chapter that Jesus is the key for us getting right with God. If you want to figure out Jesus for yourself, I reckon there's a few things you can do. Um, talk to a friend who believes in Jesus. Ask them why. Hear their story. Uh, pick up a Bible for yourself. You, you could um, read a, a book in the Bible called Mark, a great place to start. Just a quick biography of Jesus' life. Get to know him that way. Or pick up this book. This is a book um, I read as I prepared to, to talk this morning. It's called God is Green. Um, it's only short, about 70 pages, so... I'm not going to take up too much of your time. But there's heaps in this book about Jesus. Here's the one thing, though, that I really want to commend to you. It's the Life Series. Um, the Life Series runs over five Mondays. It starts at half past seven in the evening. We're meeting at uh, Zero Cafe just over at TTP, so super close, really nice place. I love Zitos. Um, but starting on the 8th of February, we're going to do the Life Series. Um, at Life, we kind of have some dessert together, we'll have a coffee, um, it's all pretty relaxed, and then we're going to dive into some big things. We're going to ask questions like, who is Jesus? What's he on about? Can, can I really believe what he says? Maybe a short talk, a chance to discuss this kind of thing with other people, a chance to ask your questions if you want. So I say, why don't you come along? Uh, what have you got to lose by joining us? If you're not really sure about this whole Jesus thing yet, the Life Series, it's perfect. If you're interested, come and grab me later. I'll be there. Come and talk to Brian later. He'll be there. Or better off you at, why not just chat with the person who you came along with today and ask them to come along with you? They'll get you there. I think today that the environment is suffering. It's groaning. God asks us to care for his world. Out of love for him to care for his world. How are you going with that? What part are you playing in that? But amidst the groans, the environment is calling us to do something bigger as well. It's calling us to get things right with God. To figure out who Jesus is and get things right with God. Because the hope for liberation and restoration doesn't come from what we can do for the environment. It comes in what God does for us and his world. Figure out Jesus. Why not come to life and figure out Jesus for yourself with us? Let me end there by praying for us and for the world that we live in. Let's pray. Our dear, gracious and good Father, we thank you for this good world that you've given us and we're sorry for the ways that we mistreat it. Please help us to love you by caring for the world. And Father, we pray too that we'd hear what the, what the world is screaming out to us. We pray that we'd get things right with you.
Help us live with you as our God and long for what you've promised us to come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.